our second gospel or our second scripture lesson today is Psalm 27 on page 476 in your pew Bibles. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Vacation Bible School is a very special week here at MPC. I believe one of our volunteers said, oh, it's crazy, but it's great. Crazy does seem to be a pretty accurate description if you break it down. Let's host 110 children five days in a row during the hottest month of the year. We'll staff it almost completely with volunteers, and we won't split the kids up into classrooms, no. We'll have them move locations every 20 minutes, and we'll do that eight times in the span of three hours. On top of that, let's add water to the mix. Not one, but two days, including but not limited to a 100-foot tarp soaked up and soaked down to propel up to three children at a time down the front slope of the lawn so fast that they are hurled off of the tarp and up the other side of the hill. It's crazy. And to be honest, I get bogged down in the logistics of the week. I haven't counted my online orders or last-minute curbside pickups, but it's too many. When schedules change and volunteers need to shift, it's a lot to cover. When the firefighters who are visiting get an emergency call, it's an unknown time to fill with 10 to 20 kids. 
It can be easy for me in my role to lose sight of the big picture during VBS. I bounce back and forth from one need to the next, this moving piece to that moving piece, and I forget to take a step back and look at everything that's going on. But if I slow down enough to listen, to look, and to be, there are moments that bring me back. There's the parent who tells me that her children told her this week has been the best camp they've been to. It's the picture someone texts me of a young girl in her superhero outfit striking a pose after dinner one night. It's our mission campers at Memorial Drive Ministries recalling the Bible stories they've learned about and relating them to the stories of our refugee neighbors. It's the voices of 110 children singing about God's unconditional love and grace. When we take a step back and broaden our vision, we are reminded of God's unfailing and beautiful presence in and among us. And that's what hope is. Hope is a fundamental tenet of our faith. Yet I would argue it may be one of the hardest to practice. Hope as a practice is difficult because we have to hold the promise of hope in tension with the reality that we all experience. That is a reality of loss, grief, violence, and tragedy. And now, more than ever, reminders of our tragic reality are at our fingertips all day, every day. It can seem like we are just constantly redirecting our gaze from one tragedy to another, one injustice to another, one loss to another. How can we hope in the midst of this reality? As a Christian pastor, I particularly struggle with this when I see large numbers of Christians systematically promoting exclusion, judgment, and hate, all the while using their faith to justify their actions. This week, in the year 2023, the largest Christian denomination in the country decided to formally move to bar any church in their denomination from allowing women to serve as pastors or even elders in their congregations. There are people in this community and the Southern Baptist community that are grieving this move. This move that you could argue is more political than spiritual. A fear-based decision promoted by a vocal minority to try to maintain power and control. But this is not new. In all Christian denominations, our own included, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, all of these institutions have been used as systems of power and not always in a good way. The Church Universal has a bad track record of abuse and covering up that abuse. Problems with racial reckoning and a failure to show God's love and acceptance, especially to our LGBTQ siblings. There are plenty of tragedies in this world, but for me in particular, when I see my religion being used as a tool to tear down instead of build up, to exclude instead of include, to judge instead of love, 
I lose a sense of hope. Where is God? Jesus wasn't a stranger to religious leaders and government figures rejecting his message of repentance and radical acceptance. In our gospel lesson, we find Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. He's stopping in cities and villages, teaching and healing. His message is a demand for genuine change, a message of what God's kingdom could look like on earth. He delivers the well-known message that those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. He is calling on the powerful to check themselves. He is calling on those that have lost sight of God to reconsider where we see God among us and what God's call is on our lives. It is right after this power check that Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. They've brought word that Herod, the Tetrarch, is out to kill him. Now, it's likely that these leaders weren't trying to protect Jesus and that they had their own ulterior motives. They weren't too fond of his radical message and law-breaking acts of healing, so their warning was likely a convenient way to shoo Jesus out of their towns so they could restore their own status quo. It doesn't take a deep biblical interpretation to discern that Jesus consistently spoke out against people in power whose priority was to stay in power. And in our passage, Jesus laments the rejection of his message. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you. How often, he says, I have wanted to gather your people just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. I find comfort in Jesus' lived example in this passage. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, could have been brooding over his impending betrayal and death. He could have spent more time taking on the Pharisees and religious institution, or more time figuring out how to avoid the constant threats on his life. But instead, he was grounded by a broader vision of his mission on earth. He spent his time healing and bringing people back into the fold who had been cast out or cast aside. Jesus lived and moved by faith, a faith that allowed him to navigate both the promise and peril of his reality. This image of Jesus is an image of hope, hope as a way forward into new possibilities despite current circumstances. In her book, Though the Fig Tree Does Not Blossom, theologian and professor, professor of Christian ethics, Ellen Ott Marshall, says this. She says it is important to see responsible hope as an ongoing negotiation between promise and peril. Jesus lived that negotiation. That is the good news of the gospel that God so loved the world that God gave their only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Jesus' very existence was a negotiation between the peril of his reality and the promise of God's eternal salvation. We live in that tension too. 
the tension between what we hope for and the reality of what we experience. The problem with hope is that sometimes we consider the practice of hope as a shift in our gaze. We experience a loss or a tragedy and we turn our gaze from that experience to a focus on hope and promise. But as Marshall reminds us, responsible hope is not a shift in our gaze. It is a broadened vision. A broadened vision allows us to both lament and hope. And Psalm 27 is a perfect example of this broadened vision of hope and comfort. The psalm opens with praise. Praise for God who is our light and our salvation. Praise for God who is our fortress and protector. Praise comes easily at first. Then the psalm makes a shift at verse 7 to lament and petition. Lord, listen to my voice and answer me. Don't neglect me. Don't leave me all alone. It's interesting to me that the peril the psalmist is experiencing is not from God, but rather it is because the psalmist loses sight of God's presence. They continue, Come, my heart says, seek God's face. Lord, I do seek your face. Do not hide it from me. Hope comes when we stop and remember to see God's face, God's presence among us. God's power is not vengeful. God's power is relational. Our hope rests in the insurance that God is with us. God is the hand on our back when we grieve. God is not the source of our peril, but rather the comfort in the midst of it. Our hope is in the beautiful and unfailing presence of God. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, whose lived experience shows us what it is like to negotiate the tension between promise and peril. Jesus lived this reality just as we live it. It can be easy to lose sight of God's presence in the face of our present reality. Whether we are bogged down by the stress of our day-to-day life, or exhausted from witnessing violence and trauma in our country and world, or whether we're lost in our own personal time of darkness, we do lose sight of God from time to time. But hope is not about ignoring our lived experience or ignoring our losses and laments. A broad vision of hope holds fear, faith, doubt, and trust all together at once. Hope holds promise and peril together in one vision. Hope remembers God as the mother hen in times of fear. Hope reminds us that God is our light and salvation in times of darkness. Hope holds on to the assurance of God's presence without diminishing the hardships of our lived experiences or the experiences of others. With this broadened vision of hope in mind, My wish for us today is that we take the time, give ourselves the grace to take a step back and look for where we see God at work. As the psalmist says, one thing I asked of the Lord, this I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hope is faith and belief that we can and will experience God's goodness in the land of the living when we take a step back to look for it. Believe, friends. When we experience death, believe that we can also see signs and promises of life. When we have to navigate a difficult path, believe that God walks alongside us, strengthening us and comforting us along the way. When injustice and hate stare us down, believe that our strength and courage comes from the Lord, the Lord who has also navigated promise and peril. Sometimes we have to wait, but in the waiting is expectant hope. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your hearts take courage. Amen.